Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. First trophy in six years and it just feels so right. Eric Ten Hag's Manchester United have looked like a team that wins trophies for the last few months and now they've picked up their first. You really get the sense it'll be far from the last under this manager. What a wonderful day at Wembley and for United fans all around the world, wherever you are, I hope you enjoyed that to the very full, to the very maximum and a very warm welcome. Now to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, I'm Harry Robinson, Jack Tate is with me as always and let's get stuck straight in Jack because United have won our first trophy in a long time. Which part of Sunday did you enjoy most? Because there are plenty of contenders. Yeah, there were plenty of moments that I enjoyed a hell of a lot. I think honestly for me, it would probably be seeing players that I think have to some degree been sold down the river by the football club over the last few years and been asked to mm. play roles that are much bigger than they ever should have done. We talked a little bit about Fred in the last episode. Players like Fred, McTominay, even Harry Maguire, you know, Wan-Bissaka, players like that who have been around during the bad times and now are playing in roles that are much better suited to, to who they are as, as players. I enjoyed seeing people like that get a great moment in a United shirt, players that have been through and been part of, let's not forget that, but been through some yeah. of the worst times that we've seen. I, I I like that those players got a moment like this to savour in front of the fans in a role that is actually where they should be at this club. Yeah, and yet for me, it was one of the newer, I mean, literally the newest one, well, second newest after Sabitzer in Valveikost. Uh, I was sat directly behind the goal, kind of at the top of the lower tier at Wembley and Vekos just crouched down next to the goal. I'm sure everyone would have seen oh, it. Was brilliant. Just thought, yeah. It's just a, yeah, it's beautiful to watch a player who clearly thought something like this would never happen. It's his dream move and he's making the most of it. He's been crucial to the team's good run of form in general, but also in this competition. It's his first professional trophy at 30 years old. Yeah. And I saw him speaking out afterwards about he'd been in two finals before, lost both of them, I think both in the Netherlands. And yeah, he, he's come from Turkey four or five weeks ago and he's now won a trophy in Manchester United. It's just, there are so many moments like that. And I, it's just, uh, football's wonderful at, at, when it's like this. You're just happy for the players for so many different reasons. As you say, like, especially for me, Luke Shaw and Fred, in terms of those who've kind of been yeah, through the Millet United. Uh, but then you see like the lads who came through, like uh, McTominay, Rashford, Heaton, there was a brilliant picture with them, Melanga, Cobby Miners, Zidanek Bau, even a few of the youth cup players, Garnacho, obviously a few of the youth cup players, so Reese Bennett, Radek Vitek were there as well. It's it's such a great experience. I, I particularly loved the link of like Radek Vitek there, aged, I think 18 now, may, maybe has recently turned 19, and Tom Heaton two goalkeepers and I remember Tommy I love seeing him 
involved in United because when I was just starting out trying to become a football journalist, he was the first person, the first kind of professional footballer I interviewed and he was just the kindest, most warm and welcoming person to I think it would have been 15 or 16 and he was just an absolute gent and said at the end if you if you ever need anything let me know and this was this was when he was at Burnley but I was talking to him about United and and when he just made his England debut and he brought up that he was in Moscow in 2008 when United won the Champions League he didn't make the final match day squad but he was there to experience it wow just, was he yeah and said it was like the most invaluable experience an incredible thing to be a part of wow. obviously United had Van der Sar and Kujak and Ben Foster but um, Eaton was there so I love that link seeing seeing Radek Vitek in that picture and being able to soak it in it was an incredible that clip of Eric Ten Hag pulling Kobe Minor aside for a chat Minor not in the matchday squad but had travelled and he's, I'd just love to hear what I'd love to know and hear what Ten Hag was saying to Manu there you've, you'd have to assume it was something along the lines of if you carry on doing what you're doing if you carry on if you keep working hard but step it up another level this is something that you'll be able to experience very soon it, it, it was a great example of Ten Hag's management and one of those moments with Manu that I hope we'll look back on so yeah you've got those academy lads and and then have will come to Rashford in a second because he, he scored as well. That goal's been given to him now. But the yeah, the Martinez, Anthony and Eric dancing together is just, <laughs> you could just like, it, it's so obvious the closeness of their relationship there. And this is what I love about football, that you have yeah. a middle-aged man from the Eastern Netherlands, a boy from the favelas in Brazil and a bricklayer's son from a small Argentinian city dancing together in London, playing from a team from Manchester. It's just, I, th these these days and these moments it's just it's such a great opportunity to appreciate the stuff that being a football fan gives you yeah and, and I think this team we've, we've said this many times throughout the season this team has reignited that connection between the fans and, and the club and the team that was kind of lost to a large degree last season and I think you saw that massively in, in the celebrations but like you said, it's also the closest of the players and the staff. I liked, I loved how intentionally the players and Ten Hag got all of the staff involved in the celebrations too. Yeah. It, it feels like there's it's a group that is so together, that's so united in everything that they're trying to do at the moment. And that's, that's not, kind of pretty much every team that wins stuff has that. It's not to say like this is exclusive to United, but that's kind of the point. Every team that wins yeah. has these traits about them and you're seeing it now. It's not surprising the mood is good when you've won a trophy and that everyone's getting each other involved. It's kind of, if you're going to be really successful, it's about what happens when the mood's a little bit lower. Do you keep that unity and, and togetherness? But you can appreciate it when it does happen. And, and for United in particular, it's just such a sea change from what we saw last season. You know, when yeah. everything was so divided. Infighting. Yeah, the, exactly. The bitching to the press. Yeah, you know, I thought it was something that came to mind actually after the Barcelona game, Bruno Fernandes in one of his post-match interviews, I think with, um, with Man United themselves, I think said to Stuart Gardner that it was about a year ago, almost to the day, I think it was a little bit more than a year, when Fred scored that right-footed goal against Crystal Palace in Ranjuk's first game. And you just think mm. we're now... 13 months away from that and then look at where we are now like it is incredible when you think how far this club has come and how far things have changed since back then obviously the results but also just look 
this group of players isn't that different to, to who was here last year. And it is the the whole atmosphere in that group is completely different. And it, it was just great. Like you said, obviously when, when things are good, it's easy to kind of show that. But I think for United fans in particular, it felt really poignant to just see how much things had changed since this time last year. Oh yeah. Less than 12 months ago, I was at Anfield working in the press box and the United end was fairly full, but it was the easiest it had been to get a ticket to Anfield for years because we were really, really shite. <laughs> and sitting in the press box surrounded by Scousers as they scored within five minutes and then just picked us apart was painful. And this isn't a woe is me story, but you watch United that day and they were overawed by the atmosphere that just picked up and picked up because Liverpool fans knew that we were there for the taking and, and that's exactly what their team did. But it wasn't the only time that season where, and to be fair, this was the same at the start of the season against Brentford. It wasn't the only time that season and, and in recent years where you thought this team just, they, 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 they're too overawed by the occasion and the atmosphere, etc. That was in April last year. And this is the main thing about this final is that Manchester United had a natural advantage over Newcastle going into this. But what I love most is that we hadn't won a trophy for six years and that could have been made a massive deal of. But instead, somehow, Ten Hag and these players created a situation where this almost felt normal and natural right until the end and the celebrations. And then you kind of saw the relief and everything. But United are the bigger club. We've won trophies more and we've won them more recently. And we showed that. We, we we made the most of that natural advantage, whereas the opposition were having their biggest match in 30 years and were looking for their first final in 60 years. United didn't go for like the pre-match walk around Wembley. We didn't have a big base in London. We just travelled like a normal away game. Then we won the cup, celebrated for a bit and travelled home ready for training the next day. It, I just think it says so much about the attitude of this team and that's why it feels particularly great this time around in that this really does just feel like a, a pause in the season before going for more. And and every single player of Ten Hag, anyone that was interviewed after the game said exactly the same, that, yeah, this is great and we'll enjoy this for today, but tomorrow it's straight back to it, you know, onto the next game. We have a lot more still to accomplish this season. And that, that's exactly but you can the say that. that you want. Yeah, absolutely. But you can say that and it doesn't translate onto the pitch. But what I love so much is that all those kind of cliched quotes came after performance in which we played, we we controlled things. I don't mean we controlled possession because we obviously didn't, but that's partly affected by the state of the game in, the, in that we were leading. But did, did you get the same? Because for me, it felt like we asserted ourselves as the bigger club and the better team on that, rather than going in concerned about losing to the underdogs and, and slipping up and crumbling under the weight of the Geordie pressure and their 300 million fans that they supposedly brought to London. Yeah, I think even before the game, it felt like it was sort of business as usual for United. Yeah. And it was like <clears throat> watching, this is going to sound a bit weird, watching the Newcastle fans at Wembley and obviously, like full credit to them, they were they made a great noise, you know, enjoying this occasion. It felt almost a little bit like when, if anyone's watched the Sunderland or Wrexham documentaries, when Wrexham and Sunderland both got to to Wembley, it felt a bit like that, you know, like a 
and, and I, I don't mean that in any disrespect. Like if United hadn't been to Wembley for, for 30 years, we'd all be like that as well, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, it was just the right way to go about it for, for United in that, yes, it's been six years since we won a trophy, but this is a stage that as Manchester United, you have to get used to and it has to feel maybe not exactly the same as any other game, but somewhat expected and somewhat business as usual. And I felt like both the players and the fans, to be fair, and just the whole feeling of the day and the contrast with the Newcastle fans probably helped that to some degree. It felt like the entire club was set up to feel that way, to to feel like, yeah, this is great, but we are a fucking massive club and we will be back here very soon. We don't need to, you know, savour this moment because it's ne- never going to happen for 50 years. Yeah. And that was the, I, I felt really, it was interesting, kind of my personal feelings before the match because I was almost pretending to myself that I was nervous, but I wasn't in the same way that I have been before other big games, including Barcelona, but also other big league games throughout the season and obviously other big finals like Villarreal and and in the past. Because I think just off the back of Barcelona and with three players in particular in the team, I just couldn't see how a team, including Casemiro, Rafael Varane and Alessandro Martinez could be on the losing side against Newcastle. (laughs) And so... I just, I was, I was kind of trying to convince myself that I was nervous to set in case we lost, you know, you know, when you're kind of, you're trying to bring expectations down so that it's not too much of a thump back down to earth. But deep down, I kept saying, deep down, I am, I'm pretty confident here because we're, we're a really good team and we're better than them. And, and not just we're a really good team, but this is what we're talking about, isn't it? It's, it's the character team where you, you just don't fear that there's going to be that complacency or that ability to be overawed by the occasion. And that is, and and Casemiro and Verano Martinez are are absolutely essential to that, but it's also Ten Hag. And I think we've seen that in how United have played in second halves, particularly in the last few weeks, including against Barcelona. But those those four together, you just have every confidence in this United team. Yeah, and we talked about this after the Barcelona game in our sort of short preview of the final that, we couldn't see United capitulating. We couldn't see United coming here and, and just putting in a really turgid, really just basically we couldn't see United not showing up mm. for this game. And th- this is, was far from our best performance, especially on the ball. I don't think we were particularly great, no. but it, it kind of fit exactly what we were saying in that we have the players that without meaning to oversimplify it, sort of analysis of what is obviously a very complex game, we have players that just win. And we haven't had that in a long, long time at Manchester United and in Casemiro and Varane in particular. And I'd put Martinez in there in there as well, albeit obviously his sort of experience winning with Ajax is maybe at a slightly lower level than Casemiro and Varane's. We do just have players that are used to the feeling of winning, that know how to get themselves over the line. And, and that's, that's shown massively in not only the last couple of games, but I think for the last two months as well. Yeah. On the performance... I again, interesting. I came away from Wembley thinking we'd been pretty average. Having watched most of the game back in full, some of the second half I've just seen kind of the key moments of, but saw the first full first half. It's pro- it's changed my opinion a bit having watched it back because I think the nerves in that ten to twenty minute period in the second half from the hour mark onwards really clouded my view of the game and just the overall nerves of can we hang on to this? We did. We scored against the run of play probably. 
I think you're right, we wasted possession time and time again in the second half, but the defensive work and how solid we were at the back, especially after half-time with Wan-Bissaka, we basically turned this game on its head. Ten Hag played the mind games before, he called Newcastle annoying and time-wasting, but we managed to engineer a situation where it was us who slowed the game down once we got the lead. It was us who scored from a set piece and a deflection. It was us who riled them up consistently. And I think to be able to enact a game plan like that, against the team who usually managed to do the very same thing themselves. That's really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we were poor in, on, on the ball and I, and I don't think that was the game plan. I think even in the second half, we would have wanted to, A, keep the ball a little bit more than we did, but also take more advantage of some of the counter-attacking opportunities that were there. We didn't take... But that was... We were clearly going for that, weren't we? There was no... It, yeah. It didn't feel like there was any intent to play through midfield no not not at all it was to be honest I, I came away from the game I haven't watched it back yet maybe my opinion will change slightly after after watching the whole thing again I felt like it was a a Mourinho-esque final performance and I mean that as a compliment for once it was like Ajax it was like the 2017 yeah. Europa League final I think Barney Rone made that uh, comparison yeah that's a great yeah great comparison it, it, it felt extremely extremely similar you know and I think once United take that 2-0 lead United were favourites anyway going into the game and like you I felt much calmer much more confident than I expected I ever would in in a final but I think once we got that even the one goal lead but especially once it went to two you just felt like United were just going to manage that perfectly in the exact same way that we've seen teams like Real Madrid do in the Champions League time and time again with Casemiro and Varane massive parts of it Newcastle didn't really have any great chances in the second half De Gea didn't really have to make a save Mm. There were a couple of moments where we had to make a few sort of last ditch blocks, but by you know all intents and purposes, I think we kept kept Newcastle at arm's length for pretty much the entire second half. It was managed relatively well, and, and at the end of the day, that is what you have to do in a in a final. You know, it was a Mourinho esque performance, and that's why Jose Mourinho has won so many yeah. finals because it is a tried and trust, tried and trusted setup, especially if you can get a lead. Tried, trusted, and tested. I, w- I was also surprised watching it back how to see how quickly we came out after the break. In that we really could have wrapped it up in within five yeah. minutes of of the second half. Fred had a shot twenty two seconds in, which was similar to kind of the move that saw him score against Barcelona. But it was a bit tame. He tried to guide in, and it went wide. Anthony had an effort, and also tame ninety seconds later. Uh, Wambasaka did that uh, tackle high up the pitch and then drive forward. That was only I think fifty minutes in, maybe forty eight minutes in, and then Veghorst shouldered across uh, a few minutes later. I think at, at sixty minutes the game changed quite a lot, but we actually we did engineer the situations to take the game away from Newcastle at the start of the second half. We just didn't capitalise on that, and it's. It's something we're seeing more often now, isn't it? That's it's becoming a bit of a pattern. That very quick start after half time, and it was yeah, it was almost exactly the same as Barcelona. It's just Fred didn't finish this time and did against Barcelona, and then from the hour mark, it felt it it, it felt like that Martinez and Varane dogfight again. They were very <laughs> ably assisted by Juan Bissaka, and and we can talk more about him. He's his resurgence has saved United a lot of money, which we did originally spend on him, of course, but also massively bolstered the options Ten Hag has in a game. But especially those centre-backs, they are just immense defenders, let alone all their other qualities. They are just brilliant in and on the edge and the areas around the box. They're so good, proactive and aware to everything. I, I can't speak highly enough, honestly, of 
Varane and Martinez, both individually and the, and the, the partnership that they're forming. I, I think what's so great about them, I mean, there's so many things, but one, a couple of things in particular, <laughs> is, what, a Everything. couple of things. <laughs> their personalities, their on-the-pitch quality, everything. Yeah, I mean, that, that pretty much sums it up. But I, I think a couple of things that really stood out for me are, firstly, they're both so comfortable in pretty much any type of defending. You know, like to give the comparison to Maguire in that Maguire is actually a, a brilliant defender in and around the box, especially high balls. He reads the game really, really well, but obviously isn't very good at defending when there's like 50 yards of space in behind him. It's maybe one-on-one duels with a ball at someone's feet. Isn't so great. Martinez and Varane, their, their defensive qualities are so good and so well-rounded. Whether they're 50 yards from their own goal or defending a, a penalty box that's crowded with 15 players, I have equal confidence in their ability to handle that situation, sort of no matter what. And then the other one, this one is sort of specific to Martinez. I, I've seen few centre-backs who I think obviously enjoy defending as much as Martinez, which is obvious from the celebrations after a good piece of defending. But I think as part of that, he he spots danger so, so quickly. There, there was one moment in particular that stood out to me in the game. I don't really know why it stood out to me so much. Martinez has sort of got dragged out a little bit into like the left back sort of area in the first half when Newcastle had the ball with Trippier down the right. And he, he got dragged out a little bit. I think then Trippier met, played it to Almiron. It might have been the other way around. And Martinez from sort of out, just outside the, the sort of left top left corner of our penalty box. The game was, there was no imminent real danger there. You know, Newcastle were sort of passing the ball around on their right wing. Martinez absolutely sprints back into the penalty area to get back into position to try and defend the cross. When the cross wasn't even imminently coming in, it was, you know, he, he had plenty of time to get back into that position. Most defenders would sort of amble back there, you know, mm. give it a little jog, whatever. But he, he just loves defending. Yeah. And, and that feels like a stupid thing to say, but... Some defender, and I think Casemiro and Varane have this too, their appetite to be a good defender and to make those crucial tackles, blocks, clearances, it does, I think, separate some of the very best around. Yeah. I think you're right to mention Casemiro there as well because he, at times, was the third central defender on Sunday. He has been many other times as well. But it was interesting seeing him properly drop back into that defensive line to let Martinez and Varane go wide. Uh, without worrying about leaving too much space for one of their midfielders to run into and make that late run and, and score. Casemiro's soul, that that trio is just, it's, it's immense. And we're starting to, I think we're playing well in attack, aren't we? But that trio's so well cemented now. The fullbacks, you've got two great options and contrasting options on either side. And that's so useful and a massive change. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a second. But we've not yet got that in attack. And I think that's what's kind of exciting is that we've got really good players and Bruno, Rashford, Sancho, uh, Garnacho, Veghorst, all doing well. It's great. But we haven't got that kind of rock solid trio where you have complete faith in that kind of being one of the foundations of the team. And I think you get that a little bit less in in the forward positions anyway. But I think that's an area still to come that's that's exciting. We should mention the first half a bit because we mainly spoke about the second in which we didn't actually score. 
it was it was difficult, wasn't it? Sam Maximan was so dangerous. And I think when I spoke to Aaron Stokes on the previous episode, he was the one we picked out as kind of that unpredictable potential match winner. Dallow couldn't really handle it. And the change to bring wan on was great. But the two goals, wonderful short cross, great header from Casemiro. And of course, it was him who came up with it. is something probably not a level up in terms of finish or the quality but the combination work between him and Vekos there the runs on the right from Anthony and Bruno to open things up how quick Casemiro is to get onto the loose ball after Vekos doesn't head it down but makes himself enough of a nuisance to that the ball goes loose all of those things are positive worked on the training ground or in previous matches things and was yeah was top of the combination between Vekhorst and Rashford not the only time that came to the fore in the first half as well yeah like some of the play between the two is obviously not perfect but when it works it works perfectly because you have that striker dropping deep able to receive the ball and quickly get it into a player like Rashford running in behind it, yeah it, I think the, the second goal in particular kind of summed up what our attack is really good at at the moment and it is it being facilitated by players like Casemiro winning the ball back for us in good areas and then able to get it down and break quickly. Not that it was a counter-attacking goal, but, you know, like you said, it was from a, a loose ball that we sort of win and get under control quickly and then we're able to to break from there. You know, the, just the, the timing of the runs, of the pass, everything was was perfect, really, in, in the build-up to that goal. Rashford gets a little bit lucky with the finish, but in, in the end, it was really weird that, I don't know if you if this got announced in the stadium, that the goal was initially given to Rashford, then just before half-time was changed to a Botman-owned goal. But now after the game has been changed back to being given to Rashford again. Yeah, strange one. You get the sense that maybe his status as potential top scorer in the competition and United having won the game may have influenced that decision slightly. And it it also made him have scored in every round as well, which was probably part of it. Yeah, I, I often think in those situations, Botman doesn't want it. If it's if it's too close to call, really, then yeah. you, you obviously want to give the, the striker the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, on on Rashford, seeing that, um, I mean, we spoke about kind of favourite moments, and I was going to finish off with him, and then we dived into some other stuff. Oh, God, it's special, isn't it? Seeing his smile come out, I, I I love that. We've seen the celebration when he scores in recent weeks. We've spoken about this before that he has to. He he's kind of changed his mindset in the last few years that he has to stay switched off from. Two, from two big celebrations a lot of the time to keep his head in the right space for for what he does on the pitch. But that smile at full time or the many, many smiles after full time, I just, it said so much. I love to see it just as a fan, but I think it said so much. The, the release of all that concentration, focus, hard work. And 
it, it's yeah, it just felt like a release of all of that, and you love to see it. But I also think crucially going forward, I think you need that release in a long season because now we can go back to the same kind of whatever you want to call it mentality monster or whatever and pointing at his mind every time but with all that released it's kind of right now we go again and we do the same again whereas if you don't have that it's like when you go to a match and it's a nil-nil draw and it's like it, it's such a you feel all pent up and you need to there needs to be that release of emotions and Rashford's got that now and yeah the goal in every round player of the tournament surely given that and the fact he scored at the final and it was it was lovely to see so well deserved. I mean, how many times have we said, not just this season, even in previous years, that Rashford is almost everything that you could ever want in a United player. Yeah. It, the, yeah. the story coming through the academy, growing up in in Manchester, being a United fan as a, as a boy, coming through. And, and also, I, I think what makes Rashford even more relatable and you want him to succeed even more is because it hasn't all been plain sailing for him. Mm. You know, far from it. This wasn't... Yeah, he came on, onto the scene as a you know very very young player and started really well. But this hasn't been a, a continuous you know up, upward curve for Rashford every single season. There's been up, ups and downs. There's been difficult times, and I think it it just makes you want him. It makes you even more desperate for him to succeed. And seeing him get you know he's won trophies at United before. This is the second League Cup. He's won the FA Cup, the Europa League. But he was always slightly on the fringes of those squads. Even though he, he did play in some of those other finals, he was never the the main player or one of the main players. And you see him now being a true leader of this team and a real talisman for this team. I'm, I'm just so, so happy that he got to have this moment with, you know, 30,000 United fans filling half of Wembley. This is exactly what we've always wanted for Rashford, what we always envis- envisaged him becoming. And I mean, the, all you can hope now is that this is the first of many because he deserves every success that he can possibly get in a United shirt. And we deserve to to celebrate those moments alongside him as well. Another man who I'm just absolutely in love with, Eric Ten Hag. It's just beyond our wildest dreams of, of a few months ago, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, played everything perfectly. And... To go into a bit more detail, he's getting all the credit he deserves and it's great that this, I think it's particularly great that this trophy came in a match where once again, he showed that he is the determining factor in that he's got the ability to change games with how he adjusts it. And I think, it, and I'm mainly talking about the Wan-Bissaka for Dallow move to nullify some maximum, but I also think the other subs were pretty perfectly timed. And I think I said this after Barcelona in our most recent episode, but I'll say it again. The key takeaway from Ten Hag's game-changing substitutions of recent weeks is not that just he's a great manager and a great tactical thinker and that he reads the game brilliantly, but also that he, in these last few months, he's changed United from a good starting eleven to a good squad, still with so much room for growth. In, in But before the World Cup, it, it always felt like we were thin and you looked to the bench and thought, how, how do we change this to, for whatever scenario, whether we're winning, losing or drawing? And since the World Cup, the resurgence of Sancho and Wan-Bissaka probably most notably but also Fred's quality the arrival of Sabitzer and Fedkhorst it, it feels now that even though the squad is not perfect and there's a, a long way to go but it feels like we at least have all the options he needs to change games in whatever scenario and we saw that again Wan-Bissaka for Dallow Wan-Bissaka 
is not the kind of story of Ten Hag's very good first season at United, but he is one of them. It's just it's someone we just completely wrote off. Oh yeah, massively. I mean, uh, even earlier this season, like we, I, I think we always talk with with Ten Hag in terms of this season and last season because obviously everything has changed so much. But like you kind of mentioned there, I, I think it is also worth remembering just how different everything has been since the World Cup to what it was before. You know, players like Wan-Bissaka, for example, like earlier on in the season, we wouldn't, we would never have wanted Wan-Bissaka anywhere near the starting 11 in this team. Dalla was one of the only players that basically never, ever got rotated in that first sort of four or five months that Ten Hag was in charge. And now that's changed, partially forced because of injury, Dalla getting injured and Wan-Bissaka coming in and doing well. But I think you're right. I think that has been a, a defining feature of this really good run that we've been on post the World Cup is that this has gone from Ten Hag kind of making do with very clearly a preferred 11 and then having to sort of fill in gaps everywhere else and and not rotating really to now very clearly having more trust in other players. Often that has come about through being forced, whether through suspension or injury, but also through some natural rotation as well. You look at players like Fred and Wan-Bissaka, even some of the four players like the trust that he's got in Garnacho, Sancho coming back in, you know, Lindelof and Maguire have had more minutes. Malassi has played more than we, we expected. You know, it is a big, big change from what it was before the World Cup. And I think Ten Hag just deserves so much credit for sort of allowing himself that time to... I, I, th- I think what Ten Hag has done really well, and I think this is something that a lot of managers struggle with, especially at big clubs. There is this constant tension, I think, between the long and the short term. You see someone like a Mourinho or a Conte who comes in and everything is very clearly for the short term. You know, you're signing players of an age that meaning they probably won't be around for too much longer, are playing at a really high level. Everything is about just winning in that first two years. And then you see other managers, slightly something that Graham Potter's sort of going through now at Chelsea or sort of being forced down that route because of how bad results are, where everything, it's almost like they don't care about the short term because everything is just about building for, you know, the next four or five years. And yeah, yeah that is a, a noble and important thing. But you can't do that. Exactly. You can't do that. Like there is, time is of the essence and you only get so much time at clubs like this. And I think Ten Hag has struck that balance perfectly between getting through those first four or five months, buying himself. When we did that Ten Hag review episode after the end of the first part of the season before the World Cup, we spoke with, with Kane and, John McKenzie and Andy Mitten. And we all said Ten Hag has built himself up enough credit in the bank now. And that's, and he, yeah. And he, he did that in those first four or five months by just that core group of players. But now he sort of expanded that to a, a more of a well-rounded squad as he's kind of built that trust with everyone. And else. that's the, the key now. If you lose the League Cup final, you can call it the Mickey Mouse Cup. If you win, it's a, a springboard for, for success, which is the the truth of it as a competition. But that is the key is that what's so important is that United have a brilliant new manager who has got buy-in from players, but there will be bad spells of form and there will be unhappy players. Not now, certainly not this week, but at some point in the future. And having won a trophy in just a few months, to state the obvious, it gives him everything he needs to have complete control over the squad to decide who stays and goes yep. to get full discipline. And that's exactly what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't have after losing in the Europa League final. And you see it, I mean, we've, we've, he's already just stamped his, his authority on this. We've seen even those three 
gods in the middle for Ryan Casemiro and Martinez have all been in and out of the team like they're such good characters you see that Casemiro challenging Bruno after winning a trophy about not making a pass was brilliant I loved it but Casemiro wasn't given a straight entrance into the team because McTominay was playing well he was challenged Varane was rested for Lindelof at times Martinez's reward for winning the World Cup was a place on the bench for three or four weeks it's the standards there was a flag last season in in the Red Army section in the Stretford end, which had standards and it had Keane, Robson, I think one other. I can't remember who the final face on it was, but standards. And that's exactly what Ten Hag's done. A final point on his substitution, 17 subs at halftime this season now, which is pretty considerable. It's brave early changes and no team has scored more goals through substitutes this season, which is a that you brought up that's almost that's almost half the games you know, I think we've played 40 games this season yeah 17 of those had halftime subs well even I mean we're, we're talking about it today in a very good way but if you go back to the Brentford game there were yeah, two true. halftime subs in that sure Martinez were hooked and they didn't change the game because <laughs> it was a terrible terrible day but they did do something I mean we drew the second sure half so has kicked on <laughs> yeah well, yeah, it stopped us <laughs> losing 8-0 to Brentford. So I guess there's some positive, but um, this is, yeah, I think it's just becoming more and more obvious how how good he is at this. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. the, the other thing I wanted to mention, I, I tweeted about this after the final. I think a couple, one thing that's worth remembering is that, well, firstly, I think it's important to emphasise just how good our form has been since the World Cup. We've mm. played... 19 games in 68 days and we've won 15, drawn three and lost one. Yeah. And and you don't feel like this is a team that's been run into the ground. We don't look like we're tiring too much. That, that might come later on in the season, but it's a, a, a very, very hectic period with some massive games in there too. You know, in there we've played Man City, we've played Arsenal, we've played Barcelona twice, a League Cup final. You know, this, this hasn't been a, a walk in the park, even though we had sort of that run of easy games when we first came back from the World Cup. But I think it's also, now it feels like a long time ago because of how well things have kind of gone. But it's worth remembering, when we went to the World Cup, our season was still on a bit of a yeah. knife edge. You know, yeah, things were trending in the right direction. We were all happy with where things were going, but we were a minute away from dropping points at Fulham in our last game and Garnacho popped up with that last minute mm. goal. The club was was reeling from the Ronaldo interview. We weren't even in the top four at that point. I think we were fifth in the league. Still, I think three or four points off of, off of yeah. Spurs who were fourth at that point. We hadn't won our Europa League group. We were all wondering where the hell is our striker going to come from if Ronaldo does leave the club, which he eventually Varane did. Varane was injured. You know, yeah, Varane was injured. There were still question marks over, I, I think some players in this squad and, you know, Sancho was, had this sort of mysterious absence that we weren't sure when he was going to come back. But our season was by no means guaranteed to go this way when we left for the World Cup. And I think it's, it's important now to remember because it feels like we've always been on this upward trajectory, but we were really on a bit of a knife edge at that point. And that's why I think Ten Hag deserves all the credit in the world for what has been a massively hectic period and managed it so, so well and and really done everything that we ever could have asked for in that players have had a rest here or there. We've got players from the squad kind of better integrated into the playing 11. 
We've yeah. come away with a brilliant record, won a trophy, progressed in every competition that we could have. You know, it's been... Doesn't get much better. No, it really doesn't. It's going to be some... I was just thinking as you are saying that, it's some competition for manager of the year in the Premier League at the moment. I know it's kind of meant to be based on the Premier League alone. But if you think about the some of the kind of managerial performances from Arteta with Arsenal, Tenag at United, Marco Silva with Fulham yeah. and Desarby at Brighton, Thomas Frank still doing really well at Brentford. We'll see what Lopetegui can do with Wolves. There's just some, you just, yeah. I mean, even Emery with Aston Villa has been doing really well too since he's come in. Oh, well, they've had, yeah. Last few games up, up and down, so I think. Good, but. Yeah. But yeah, there's just been some incredible managerial performances. I think to end, there was a quote from Tenag who just said, well, not just said, he said, I just love United. When I see our shirts, when I see the bonding with the fans, when I see Old Trafford, when I see the legacy like Sir Alex, so many big players who have developed at United, we want to do the same. This team wants to make its own history. I mean, it's a silly, silly game, but how can you not just get utterly brought in by that? It's, and he's written uh, a, an yeah. open letter to fans t- today on Monday that got put out a few yeah. hours ago, which, which doesn't say anything too, you know, crazy in it. It's sort of what you would expect in a le- letter to fans. But I think just having the foresight to directly address fans of United all around the world is, it's just a nice touch. Yeah. And there's lots of stuff like that. As I think it's easy to praise media teams and kind of like press officers when the team's winning it's quite it can be quite easy to make your team look good if they're winning but uh, I do think there's been an improvement in how United communicate with fans this season there's a long way to go especially in terms of ticketing and yeah and various and, and kind of for match going fans but there's been a massive improvement in that sense um, and that's behind the scenes job as well as as well as Ten Hag but I think with Ten Hag you're also just seeing him grow into this aren't you the kind of the relationship with the journalists is much more he's he's in control of that while having quite a relaxed relationship there. Yeah, I think he's really grown into it. And that's great to see. He's clearly also getting better at, at using the media and journalists yeah. for his own ends. Like he did perfectly before the the League Cup final with the all the jabs about Newcastle's time of the ball in play. Yeah. Like, that that stat is never getting dug up in the build up to this game without Ten Hag mentioning it, and he and he knows that, and he knows yeah. knows that all he has to do is sprinkle that little drop in the bucket, and everyone's going to feast think, over it. You know, I think crucially, Sir Alex Ferguson knew that, and you have to yeah. assume that advice on that front came from his dinner with him on Monday night. Um, it was, and it was very con- for, that- for him to play his first mind games of the season. It was otherwise very coincidentally. <laughs> Um, timelined. Yeah, I think. But that's the other thing. Him, him embracing Sir Alex is in the right way, where he's still in control. Yeah. It's not like deference, but it's allowing him to be part of it. Is that was the key with with Sir Alex came in himself, in that others had been overshadowed or overawed by Sir Matt Busby's presence, and Sir Alex leaned on him for advice and brought him in when the time was right. And Ten Hag's doing that. Well, and I think in the case of. Ten Hag, everything still stems from the results. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. if he was getting dinner with that with Sir Alex after, you know, we'd gone through a round of ten games without a win or something like that, like something like that, it'd be easy enough to think, oh, he's, you know, he's desperate, he's looking for some kind of advice or trying to get Sir Alex on side. But now because the results have been so good and because there is no doubt over 
sort of who's in complete control of this team and this squad. Ferguson's role is a lot more, it's a lot easier to, to be part of because it, it's very clear that no matter how much he is involved, no matter how often he's talking to Ten Hag, there's no doubt over who's in charge of this football club at the minute. And that is the bald genius. Let's go into our Patreon Q&A. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Okay, Jack, before we wrap up, uh, great weekend all round for United teams because United women beat Durham 5-0 in the FA Cup, uh, marching on in that with an emphatic performance, which is great. The scorers, Vildebo Risa, Leah Goulton, Hannah Blundell, Alessia Russo and Nikita Paris. Their focus, United women now turns back to the league. They've got Leicester City on Sunday at half 12. The game's on BBC iPlayer if you want to watch. As a reminder, United are currently top of the Women's Super League. They're one point ahead of Chelsea who have a game in hand. but Crucially, United have the chance to pull further ahead, four points ahead, because Chelsea don't play this weekend. They're playing Arsenal in the League Cup, which would be a mental boost at the very least. The under-18s beat Derby County 5-2. A lovely first goal link-up between Berry and Scanlon, as if it could be the 1957 United team, but this was Adam Berry and James Scanlon. Uh, and then Victor Musa continued his great scoring form with two before the break, and James Nolan and Ethan Williams scored after half-time. The under-21s conceded a late equaliser against Wolves on Friday night. A 2-2 draw. United's goals from Amari Forson and Joe Hugo. Jack, we haven't got very long. So just the very main headline from the Lonies, please. And is it Ahmad? It is Ahmad. No surprise. <laughs> <laughs> but on a personal note, very good. And a team note, not so good. Because yeah. Sunderland did end up losing to Coventry. But Ahmad in the 94th minute scored an absolute screamer. Very similar to uh, Anthony's goal against Man City. So cutting him from the right, left-footed shot into the top corner. Brilliant. And got actually some lovely comments from Tony Mowbray after the game as well. His form has dipped slightly in the last few weeks. I say only slightly because he's still been very good. But Tony Mowbray was asked about it and defended Ahmed to the hill and basically said he couldn't pick a team without him and that he's you know by far Sunderland's most dangerous attacking player. So high praise for Ahmed and you know hopefully he, he continues. It's been tough for him. Sunderland have played a lot of games recently partially because of their good FA Cup run and they got to a replay with Fulham. So they had a lot of games. And as Tony Mowbray said in this interview, this is really the first time in his career Ahmad has played regular men's football. So definitely an adjustment for him, but a brilliant learning process that's still still going on. Any other performances to note about or nothing nothing on that level? I didn't see anything in particular, but I wasn't paying that much close attention given the uh No, nothing, the on, nothing on that level really. Ahmad certainly nice. the standout. Okay. West Ham on Wednesday. It's incredible we're playing again and at home. Um but it'll be 
great to it, it's great to be at home having just won a trophy and the atmosphere on Wednesday as long as we don't concede a very early goal we'll feel very celebratory and it's another chance to go marching on in another cup and we should do it because we're better than West Ham and we've just won a trophy we'll see what kind of impact the various beers and champagne have had in the dressing room um, after after winning the League Cup but it's it's not like the biggest game but it could be fairly exciting because it's an FA Cup match and a place in the quarterfinal awaits yeah I mean it's yeah, a big game in terms of what's at stake getting into the quarterfinal of another competition. It feels like a classic potential banana skin game for United, I think, in the coming off a League Cup win. There's a lot of potential for a bit of a, a come down and maybe some complacency, but I think you've got to have faith in this manager and this team that that won't be allowed to happen too much. I mean, the games just keep on coming for United, don't they? And it's not going to get any easier after beating Barcelona they aren't really going to have any yeah. any kind of break. Liverpool but, on the weekend. Yeah. I, I'd expect there'll be a fair few rested. It, yeah. Like, it seems kind of likely we'll see Maguire and Lindelof. Probably Garnacho will start. Malassia. Yeah, maybe Polistri will either start or yeah. get a, a good bit of time. And that's that's fine. I, I, it's very possible West Ham will do very similar given the situation they're in in the league. Yeah. So, um, and it's David Moyes. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it and I my desk is made out of wood so I'm just tapping it here but um, his, his record against the big teams is horrendous so we should be confident but you are right it's yeah it's absolutely a potential upset so we'll see but I mean look two more games to complete what would be a pretty remarkable couple of weeks as a as a United <sighs> fan three weeks yeah <laughs> yeah it's been so good Sunday was amazing. I'm not sure whether we'll record after West Ham because it's been so manic and depending on if anything massive happens, then we will. But um, then Liverpool on Sunday, what are your expectations for that? I was saying to some people yesterday that despite the, the contrasting form of the two teams, I almost feel like Anfield is like the final frontier <laughs> for United. We, have, we haven't won there since 2016, since the Van Gaal era. Mm. And... I think we've had two nil-nil draws there since then as our best results. And it just, I don't know, there's been something about going to Anfield in the the Klopp era for every team, to be fair, but especially for United, that has just felt like a step too far. Um, But I mean, you've got to be more confident than probably have been in probably a decade going to Anfield at the moment, given where we are. But also winning at at Anfield is, it's a proper marker of a proper United side. Could be big. And you saw their key weakness in defence harmonises perfectly with our key strength in yeah, attack. Yeah, it really does. So if we can take advantage of that, we could have the most incredible three weeks as a United fan. And Sunday was on just... Those, on yeah. those three weeks, could you... I mean, there can't have been many, if any, periods in United's history where in the space of <laughs> three weeks or so, we could have won at Ellen Road, played oh, at the yeah. New Camp, and then won leads. that over two legs one at Wembley and one at Anfield. Yeah. Obviously we're not there yet, but I mean, that would be some, some three weeks. Yeah. It just didn't, it didn't seem possible that we could win in 90 minutes against both Barcelona and Newcastle. No. And yet, yet we did in the same way. It didn't seem possible. We could trail Barcelona twice and go through it's yeah, it's just been brilliant. And Sunday was, was the days at Wembley can be frustrating for many reasons. The music's way too loud inside. It, it never sounds that loud when you're sat in there. But when I was watching the game back, it sounds very loud. And the tickets 
for a lot, mine were fine, but for a lot of people it took ages to get in and all of that, but they are quite special and yeah, they're just special occasions and it was, it was great. As was Barcelona. I always think, I always think the best thing about Wembley, I, I, I agree. I don't, I don't think going to Wembley is, I don't think the experience there is that great. I always think the best thing about it is when you watch games at Wembley on TV, it has the, one of the best camera shakes during celebrations <laughs> of any stadium in the world. Yeah, it looks so good. Go back and watch the game. Even though our goal was happening at the other end to where all the United fans were, go back and watch the final. Even then, it was great camera <laughs> shake. And if you watch like England games, especially from the Euros, when obviously like oh, everyone in there is supporting England, it's in it, it, every game at Wembley, the camera shake for celebrations <laughs> is so good. It's Not really fun. satisfying. There to is watch. some amazing footage from Sunday, and more and more will come out over the next few days. I'm sure as United milk this in every way they can, as they bloody well should. It has been a fucking brilliant week. Is there anything else to say before we, we uh, wrap up, Jack? I think that's the perfect <laughs> note to end on, mate. Yeah. Okay. You know where to find us. We've done that all before. Happy Trophy Week, United fans. Take care. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.